So today, Greg is out. Um, he's on vacation with his family. I saw a picture of him on a jet ski, so that was entertaining. Um, he's out at the lake um, having lots of fun with the family, so we're all happy to give him a little bit of a break. That is good. And it also means that we get to have one of our other friends up here. You know her and you love her. Please give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Shauna Boren. Thank you. Although I wouldn't mind being out on a jet ski right now. That'd be fun. How y'all doing? Is everyone having a good summer so far? Good. Here's the thing, you guys. You don't get to complain about the heat or the humidity, okay? We had a very long, brutal winter, and so we're thankful, aren't we? We're thankful. Now, I'm going to put you guys out of suspense, put you out of your misery. I am not up here barefoot because I'm channeling my inner Greg Boyd. No. I love shoes. I like them. I feel like they help me be taller because I am fairly short. Um, They complete an outfit. However, before first service, my shoe broke. Literally broke. And so um, that, yeah. So that's this. This is not... Greg, this is me, but my shoe broke. (laughs) Like Vanessa said, my name is Shauna Boren, and I am simply one of you guys. I am just a part of this body, love this church, love being here, and my husband and I, um, with our four children, relocated up here last summer, so we've been back here for a year and loving every minute of it, just love being a part, and so that's a little bit about me, and we have been, this summer so far, going through this series called Twisted Scripture. Are you guys enjoying that so far? It's been so good. The feedback has been really good, and you guys have really been helpful at kind of asking some good questions and, and putting some things out there that you're wondering about, and so we're really enjoying diving into this. And as with any series, I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the weeks, please, please take some time and listen to it on the podcast, or you can even grab a copy of it out at the bookstore, because they've just been that great. As a brief recap in Twisted Scripture thus far, we've covered Romans 9, that was really amazing, and then Greg delved into this little book called Job. That, that was a doozy. And then last week, we got to hear from Greg with the help of Nicole um, uh, regarding First Timothy. So today, for Twisted Scripture, we're going to head back to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's read that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your sweet, sweet presence that is here. Lord, I am thankful for the worship team that helped to usher us into your presence. Lord, I thank you that you are here to meet with us. You are here to take care of business with us. Lord, I thank you that your love, it can be felt in this moment. God, right now I ask that your heart would be revealed to your children today. I pray that your words would be spoken today. Father, I thank you that when we leave here, we will know you a little better. We will be more um, kingdom-minded. We will have a better glimpse of how you see us in, in our relationship with you. I just thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so you guys, I want to really be honest and say to you that when I was um, given the various options uh, for what to tackle in this Twisted Scripture series, immediately um, I felt led that Jeremiah 29.11 would be the verse that I would share on. At the same time, I got immediately nervous and a little bit anxious and um, I've had kind of mixed emotions about it, and even maybe a little bit of reluctance I had to kind of go back and forth with the Lord about. And that's simply because this verse that we just read is a verse that's used many times in moments of celebration. In fact, when I was at work this week talking with some of the ladies that I work with, and um, they asked what I was going to be speaking about, and I told them, and, and one of the ladies said, oh, I always give that verse, like, whenever my daughters graduated, I gave that verse kind of like as a blessing over their lives when they graduated high school and then college. And, and that's been um, really powerful in many people's lives. This verse has been used as a blessing. It's even been quoted in, in weddings um, as a blessing over the couple. And um, it's given in many moments of life that are meant to be celebratory. And so I had some reluctance about diving into it for those reasons. And um, that being the case, you may begin to ask and wonder, well, then, Shauna, what is so twisted about Jeremiah 29.11? If it's used for all this good and, and for blessing and for these happy celebrations and milestones, then what about it is so twisted that we've got to dive into it? And honestly, you guys, I'm not here to be a downer. I am not here to splash water on your dreams. If this has been your life verse and you've carried it with you in your heart all your life, I say bless you, receive that. That's amazing. However, (laughs) there is another side to this. And unfortunately, this verse has been used and misused in some ways that I think that we need to take a look at. The first way in which I have seen this verse used or misused is what I like to call the everything is awesome syndrome. (laughs) Everything is awesome. How many of you guys seen the Lego movie this year? Come on now. If you haven't, you need to because it was very good and you can learn a lot of kingdom principles from it. If you don't have children, go borrow someone's kid and take them to see it. (laughs) Don't kidnap, just borrow and then return. So you can see this movie. In the movie, there is this song that is kind of the theme, and it's kind of sets this techno beat. It's kind of like, you know. Are you impressed that I could do that? Multi-talented I am. And it's, it's this, you know, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. I know you're jealous of my singing. Just bear with me. Everything is awesome when you're living the dream. Everything is awesome. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And, it, you know, and then it even shows five hours later, everything is awesome. They're just like still singing this song. And like I told you, we have four children and um, three of them are boys. And so they were all over this movie. They absolutely loved it. And so when we saw it as a family, they're singing this song nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And finally, my daughter, she's the youngest of the four and the only girl she just got fed up with the boys and she's like, everything is not awesome. (laughs) Being on fire is not awesome. (laughs) Being on lightning is not awesome. Being dead is not awesome. (laughs) She just had enough. I have to agree. But, you know, everything is awesome. This can also be described as the, the good life. 
Everything in life is grand and good because God knows the plans that he has for us. Everything in life is wonderful and we have a good life and a good wife or a good spouse or, um, you know, good kids and a good job and a good home and everything is just good, 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 good and just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's also kind of known as the health and wealth syndrome, you know. Um, health is yours, and wealth is yours, and more health, and more health, and more wealth, and more wealth, and you're just meant to have all the best, and feel all the best, and have, 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 and you know, that there is nothing wrong with applying these verses in that way. It's kind of actually pretty harmless, but I'm thinking that we need to recognize that it's a little one-sided. If you are from where I'm from, we like to call this favor, the favor of God. So whenever anything good happens, it's the favor of God because you are his favored child. I mean, you could find a parking spot in the crowded parking lot of Piggly Wiggly and God's favor is upon you. (laughs) Do y'all know what the Piggly Wiggly is? Thank you. Okay. It's a little grocery store down in Texas. But you find that one parking spot and you are favored. There is even this popular personality, let's say. And he does a lot of good. And he travels around and he speaks. And he talks about being God's favored. And the one example I recall him using was when he had a speaking engagement. And so he was going to the airport, got there, he was pressed for time and he noticed that oh dear the security checkpoint line was way long and so his concern was missing the flight his flight but as luck would have it no no as god's favor would have it there was someone in the front of the line who recognized him and so got him and allowed him to cut in front of all this long line of people so he could get through security, get onto his flight, and get to where he needed to go at the um, proper time. He was favored. Now, all those rest of the people in line, not so much, because he was favored. This happened to me personally once. Um, after I graduated high school, I went to this Bible college, and it was um, not necessarily super strict, but we definitely had rules and regulations, and one of those was curfew. So if we went into town, we definitely had to be back by a certain time. And so um, we went into town, which was about an hour away, and I was the one with the car, so I was the driver. And I don't know if you guys know, but to try to get a bunch of college-age students at the same place at the same time on time is um, next to impossible. So needless to say, We were running late, and I was um, afraid that we were going to miss curfew or be late for curfew. And so, that being said, as I'm cruising down Interstate 10 to try to get back to school, I find myself going just a smidge faster than the state would have liked. (laughs) So, (laughs) a lovely worker of the state turned on his sirens, (laughs) pulled me over, and was going to be giving me a ticket because of my speed. And so this was a long time ago, you guys, and this is when they still wrote out their tickets. So he's back there, and he comes up to the window, and he says, Ma'am, my pen ran out of ink. Do you or any of the rest of you have a pen? Absolutely not. No pens in this car. And I kid you not, he let me go. So guess what happens next? Everyone in the car, girl, you got faith. 
the favor of God is all over you. <laughs> Whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> However, I don't think that's the whole purpose of this verse. And like I said, these little things are kind of harmless. Unfortunately, there are ways in which this verse has been used and misused that have a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more damaging. Like, what about when everything is not awesome? What about that? What about when our health or our wealth is anything but health and wealth? You know, if you've ever struggled with something with your health, if you've ever been believing God for some sort of healing, either for yourself or someone you care about, this is kind of hard. This is kind of difficult. If you've ever been in a situation financially where you look at your checkbook, or maybe it's a money jar, or you count the bills under the mattress, I don't know how you do it, but when you, when you count it all up, there's just not enough there to cover all that you got to do. What about that? What about when the good life isn't feeling all that good at all? Does that mean that we're not following God's plan? For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Many, unfortunately, have used this verse to say that when those tragedies happen in life, when those less than awesome things happen in life, that's a part of God's plan. He planned it. And then we have to trust him to work in it. Our main teaching pastor, Greg Boyd, has written a couple of books, just a couple. In one of them called Satan and, the Problem of Evil, he recount, Satan and the Problem of Evil, he recounts a story of a young girl he came across, um, a young woman who was uh, relaying to him that she was having a real t- uh, troubling time truly trusting God. And as he began to talk to her and kind of dig a little deeper, um, you know, she said all the right things. She said that she knew that God had a plan for her life, and those plans were for good and not to harm her. Um, She said all the right things, but she said, I just am having a hard time truly, truly believing it. And so as he dug a little deeper, um, she revealed that when she was a young girl, She, uh, along with her parents, were missionaries, and she, along with her parents, were over in a foreign country. And while in that foreign country, another missionary sexually assaulted her when she was a young girl. And so she told her parents, and they got the authorities, you know, over the ministry there involved. And um, they reprimanded the man, had him sit down for a, a few weeks to months, and then they relocated him to another mission field so he can continue his mission work because he was, after all, the man of God, and he needed to continue on his work. And then they just counseled the little girl to say, hey, look, he's a, man of, he's a man of God, yes, but he's a man. He made a mistake, so it's your job to forgive now and forget, and let's just not speak about this anymore. So on top of the abuse, she received some damaging counsel. And then as years went on, she was even begun to be told, you know, that that, remember, that's God's plan. God has a plan, and that was a part of it, and you just have to trust him for that. So it's no wonder that as a young woman, she found herself in this place of not being sure that she could truly trust God because she was told that this was his plan for her life. That is damaging misuse of this scripture. 
Several years ago, I was reading a popular devotional book, and it was one of those where you read a verse every day, and it kind of gives you some explanation of the verse and kind of some life application things. And it was really popular, so I I thought, well, I'm going to check it out. And I think I got to, I believe it was day two, read the verse, happened to be this one, read how they were telling me to apply it to my life, and I threw the book across the room. Because the minister who wrote the book was saying this very thing. Your life has been infinitely to the detail planned by God. That means that whatever you've experienced, whatever has happened to you, whatever you've done, was part of his plan. And I had a real hard time with that. I had a hard time with that because if I accepted that, that meant that I had to accept the fact that God planned that when I was a child, being raised by a single mother who had numerous addictions and did not have a healthy lifestyle whatsoever, she didn't have any business raising a child, let alone a daughter, that meant that God planned the abuse that I went through. That meant that all the men that came parading in and out of our lives that abused me was a part of God's plan. And that as a child, was hellish. And I, as a woman, could not believe that God, our loving Father, meant that, purposed that, planned that for me. I couldn't couldn't believe that. And so I didn't come to a crisis of faith at that moment, but what I did do was I determined within myself to really begin to learn about God and his character and who he is. And not only that, but learn about who he says that I am. And what does it mean when verses like this come up? What, what do I do with those things? That began me on a journey of really trying to discover his character and his heart toward his children. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So what is going on here? If it's not those examples that we just talked about, then what is it? Two things we've learned around here at Woodland Hills when we're um, dealing with scripture, and especially if we're dealing with something we don't fully understand, is number one, we're supposed to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. That's how we're supposed to read scripture. Christ crucified. Christ, who in his life-giving act demonstrated self-sacrificial, others-oriented love. The explanations that have been used, misused for this verse that we just talked about does not look like self-sacrificing, others-oriented love to me. Not even the everything is awesome, everything's wonderful, glorious, grand life, favor, favor, favor. That doesn't even look like others-oriented, self-sacrificial love. It's not the full picture of that. Secondly, we know that we need to pay attention to context. We can't just pluck a verse out and use it without looking at and paying attention to the context, the background of the verse. So for context, we're going to look at the very beginning of Jeremiah 29, and we're going to see why was this written, what was going on here. In chapter 29, verse 1, it says this, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests 
the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, we can see here that this was written to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. Does that mean that we can't learn from it? No. Does that mean that we can't be blessed by it? No. But it's helpful to know the complete context of it. This prophecy was directed toward a community in deep crisis. Historically, this occurred roughly 600 years before Christ was born. This is during one of the most critical times in the history of Israel. And during this period of time, the known world of Jerusalem, the the life that they had known, what they were used to, what they were accustomed to, was assaulted, it was attacked, and it eventually was disbanded. And in the midst of this, there was this prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Now, there were other prophets. Some weren't exactly um, delivering God's word. Some of them were just saying things that the kings and the leaders wanted to hear. They were just kind of placating the people. But Jeremiah was uncompromised. He would hear the word of the Lord and he would deliver it. He wasn't afraid to say the harsh things. And that eventually put him in conflict with other prophets, with kings, with leaders, and within his own community. Jeremiah spoke of harsh judgment and destruction that would come to the people. Not because they necessarily deserved it, but he, was, he just spoke of this destruction that was coming if they didn't shape up, quit the nonsense, and turn from the evil that they were doing. This judgment and this destruction would come because of a couple of reasons. One, it would happen politically simply because Babylon was rising to power and they were expanding. Now, Babylon was about 400 miles east of Israel, and they were vastly becoming the most powerful nation during that time. So this posed a heavy and sustaining threat to Jerusalem. During this time, their temple was burned down. And you guys, the temple for them was very significant because the temple is where they believed that the very presence of God dwelt. So when the temple burned, that meant they lost his presence. So this was serious. Their holy city was destroyed. Their leading citizens were deported. God's people were sent into exile. Life, as the Israelites knew it, was over. This judgment and this destruction also had spiritual implications because this was God finally just removing his hands and just saying, okay, you want these choices. You're making these choices. You're not heeding warnings. So I'm taking my hands off and you will experience the consequences of your choices. Greg referred to this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about the potter's house, um, and that's from Jeremiah 18. And I just want to read a couple of verses um, from that portion of Scripture. It says, Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. See, through the prophet Jeremiah, the holy city was exposed. They were kind of called on the carpet. And he was kind of saying to them, you guys, quit the tomfoolery. Quit the shenanigans. Get your business straight. But they wouldn't listen. They were stubborn, and they kept about their own business. 
And as a result, they lost everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Their homes were burned. The pots, the pans, the ladles, I mean, everything was burned to the ground. If they had anything of value, anything that was bronze or gold or silver, it was confiscated. They lost everything. And it is against that backdrop, it is against that backstory that we find this little verse. It's where we pick up our text from today. In the midst of exile, in the midst of God's people having no home, in the very middle of them having lost their land, in the midst of them feeling as if they've lost his presence, there is this promise of hope spoken from God their Father. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It is through this promise that Jeremiah is attempting to encourage the people beyond their current reality. Their current reality, in exile, no land, no home, subservient to another nation... Beyond that current reality, it dictated that they would seem to be hopeless. But God was saying to them that there is a promise of something different for them. He wants them to know that God is already at work on their behalf. In the midst of their struggle, in the midst of them dealing with the consequences of their actions, God hasn't just completely given up. He's already at work on their behalf. And they're given this promise. He wants them to see. Jeremiah is asking them to imagine the world in which their hurt has already turned to healing. He wants them to see it, to imagine it. God is saying to his people, in the midst of their issues, in the midst of their exile, in the midst of their problems, God is saying to his people that loss and emptiness is not the final word. Loss and emptiness are not the last word. If we read beyond verse 11, a couple of verses, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. They had messed up. On more than one occasion. How many of you can relate? (laughs) They had loused it up. They had gone their own way. They had gone with their own plan on more than one occasion. And even still, God is saying, I'm not hiding from you. You haven't lost me. You haven't lost my presence. I will be found by you. Where you are now is not the last word. God's promise to those in exile is that their destiny is not what it currently is. It's not to forever be exiles in a hostile empire. If we keep reading through Jeremiah, through the 33rd chapter, we're able to see some of the fulfillment of these very promises. We're able to see their return from exile and the restoration of their destiny and the new covenant that was established with them. And that's very powerful and it's very encouraging But what can we today here learn from that? It can seem so far removed. What is it that we can learn from that? And I think to really get a picture of what we can learn, we have to deal with that word plans. The word plans 
in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And if you just look up the definition of the word plans, it'll be kind of what you assume it to mean. It's a scheme or a method of acting or doing, making, developed in advance. It's a design or an arrangement. It's, it's a specific project or a definite purpose. Plans. We've made plans. We all make plans. This weekend, as I was kind of finalizing this and going over notes and just spending some time studying in prayer, my five-year-old comes in, and my daughter, and um, she has this really kind of forlorn look on her face. And so, you know, I have to put aside the studies and stuff because my, my baby is like, Mom, I have some sad news. So I, you know, go to her. I'm like, babe, what, what, what is it? What's your sad news? She said, well, I'm not going to marry Carlton anymore. <laughs> okay, honey. Are, are we okay with this? What's going Well, no, it's sad news, Mom. He's going to marry Annabelle. Oh, okay. Well, I'm really sorry, sweetheart. I'm sorry that Carlton has chosen to marry Annabelle. But do you think you're going to be okay? Well, I have good news, too. Okay, what's the good news? Well, I have another best friend, and his name is Michael. So I'm going to marry Michael. Okay, honey. <laughs> Plan to marry Carlton. Next. Plan to marry Michael. In action. Here we go. God help us all. <laughs> but see, our plans, the way we think of it, is not what this word really means. Really, it's God's intentions. It's not a foregone conclusion, and it's not written in stone. In fact, the word plans in this verse is the same word that's used back in Isaiah that actually means thoughts. So you can see it as, I know the thoughts I have toward you. I know the dreams I have toward you. You see, the empire had a plan for those in exile. They had intentions and thoughts for those in exile, and that was for them, God's people, to be displaced Homeless, subservient, at risk, completely without, and restless. But God had different intentions for his people. God had different thoughts toward his people. God had different dreams for his people. And we can absolutely embrace that today. We live in a fallen world, you all. <laughs> I don't know if you realize it or not, but this world is not, everything is awesome. We have good moments, we can have blessings in life, but everything is not awesome. There are things that work in the world that are less than ideal. If you've lived any amount of time, you've probably come up against some of them in your own life. You may even be experiencing some of them right now. What is God saying to us today? The fallen world, the things that work in the world that are anti-God, has plans for you, intentions for you, and they're not good. Some of you have already lived through it. Some of you are living through it. You may have to come against it eventually. The world has intentions and thoughts and plans for you, and that is to rob you of your hope, rob you of your peace, rob you of your freedom, to make you feel like you have nothing, you are nothing, and your future is nothing. That's what the fallen world has intended for you. The fallen world intends, maybe it's through people, or through circumstances or situations, but the fallen world has intentions to deny us of our possibilities, to deny us of our dreams of the future. But God, 
But God gives hope. But God has different intentions. He has different thoughts and different dreams for us. He sees a future for us. Sometimes the struggle is real. Sometimes in the midst of the shambles, you may wonder what is going on. In the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of living in a part of a diseased society, in the midst of our troubled faith, we may wonder what is going on. And I don't have all the answers for that, but this is what I know, that he's got you covered. He covers you. He is our safe refuge. It doesn't mean that we're insulated completely from harm, but it means that he covers us. He's with us. He's embracing us. He's not hidden from us. We can find him. Why? Because he's right here with us at all times. We can experience the newness of God. We can experience a life that is restored when we allow ourselves to be embraced by him. When we allow ourselves to be open-handed toward him and to give our mess over to him and to give our concerns and our cares, to give our tragedies over to him, he can... He desires to bring newness of life. When we leave the past behind and we move toward him, he desires to make all things new for us. For not one second can you get me to believe that he purposed and planned what happened to that little girl when she was a missionary's kid. Absolutely not. For not one second can you get me convinced that he planned for me to be abused by a sick mother's boyfriends. No, that's not God. That's not loving. But what he can do, what he does do, and what he has done is when you give that to him, he takes it. And he says, that's ugly. I didn't want that for you. I'm sorry, that hurt. That was hell. I didn't want that for you. But take it. Let me take it. Let me restore it. Let me wash it clean. Let me give you newness of life. Let him come to you and give you hope. Let him come to you and open up the possibilities of your future. Let him restore unto you those things that have been robbed from you, taken from you. Let his truth permeate over your lives to where you know who you are, who you belong to, and you know what he says about you. It's powerful, it's life-changing, and it's transforming. As we close up, I want everyone just to stand with me for a moment, please. Just stand up. Take a deep breath. Just close your eyes and listen to our sweet Father speak to your heart. In the face of a world that has failed, know, be certain that resurrection faith is possible. Know and be certain that failure is not the last word. Know and be certain that loss, that living in your own exile, is not where it ends for you. You can trust the love and power of God. You can absolutely trust the love and power of God. 
You maybe can't trust men. You maybe can't trust people, family, situations. You can't trust economy. You can't trust, you know, fill in the blank. But you absolutely can trust the love and power of God. You can allow his love and power to work a newness, a restoration, and the zero hour of your loss and in your exile. God's love is perfect and his power is greater than our reason, greater than what we can control, greater than our understanding, even greater than your current reality. Allow his love to bring transforming power into your life. As the prayer teams come up, I want you all just to think about where you are today. Think about your life. And if you are in a time of fruitfulness and blessing, I just say, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Pray for those who maybe aren't in that place. As the prayer teams come forward, be thinking about your life. Think about the places in your life where you feel like maybe you're in exile. If you're out there and this verse has been used to keep you in bondage, if you've ever been told that something horrible has happened to you as a part of God's plan and God's intent, I beg you, please, leave that here today. Don't carry that lie out with you. God is with you. He can work newness of life. He can work transformative power, but he didn't make it happen. Don't believe that lie any longer. Leave that here. If you're out there and you've been listening to what other people have said, and you've allowed them to define you and to tell you you're not, you can't, you won't ever be, if if your future possibilities have been cut off from you, leave that here today and allow God to show you the future that can be yours when you just follow after him. Jesus, thank you for every person here today. Lord, I thank you that you are so very aware of where we are, what our situation is, what we're going through. God, I pray that not one person would leave here today carrying the burden that they've walked in with. Oh, God, help us just to freely give that over to you, open-handed, trusting you and your infinite love and your infinite power and your infinite glory to bring newness, new life, fresh life, restoration life, kingdom life. I just speak kingdom life over these people today in Jesus' name. New beginnings, fresh starts, opportunity as we give our lives over to you, give our mess over to you, give the ickiness over to you, and we trust you, God. We trust your thoughts toward us. We trust your intentions toward us, God. Help us to walk in your freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please, these, these, this prayer team, they have been praying for you on your behalf. Let them agree with you. Don't leave here with any kind of need, anything. Let them agree with you and touch the throne room of God. Have a wonderful day, you guys.